This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig on Moose FM. Welcome to the show. A little later on, we're going to be talking about the critical repairs needed at the North Peace Fall Fairgrounds and its impact on the upcoming edition on the North Peace Fall Fair with Society Board members Randa Braun and Bruce Christensen. But first, City Councillor Trevor Poland says he will make a recommendation to the city on a proposed bylaw that would prohibit tent, uh, tent use and homeless encampments on public property after several people have pitched tents on public and private property around town recently. So to discuss a bit of the situation now and how we can and should be better supporting people experiencing homelessness in Fort St. John, we're joined now by Amanda Burroughs, an advocate for people experiencing homelessness in Vancouver's downtown east side. Amanda, thank you so much for being on Moose Talks today. Oh, thank you for having me. What a privilege and pleasure to join you today. So obviously Vancouver and Fort St. John are very different, uh, at least in in the smallest way in terms of size. But if you could tell us a bit to start uh, about kind of what your job is and what your role is in kind of supporting people experiencing homelessness in the downtown east side from uh, the First United Church. Yeah, correct. So I'm the executive director of First United and we're a social service provider that have actually been in this community on the front lines for almost 140 years. So we're one of the oldest charities in Vancouver. And so we've experienced and seen firsthand about the impacts of homelessness and why there is homelessness. And what we do as an organization, we do what we call anywhere from downstream to upstream interventions. So downstream interventions are items like emergency response, shelters, food, harm reduction. Then further upstream, we do something called Mail Connect. So when you're homeless, you don't have a fixed address. People can't get a hold of you. Your loved ones, governments. So we're the address of a hundred, hundreds of people that are unhoused in the downtown east side. We also have a legal clinic. Um, in order to stay on assistance and get your benefits that every citizen is entitled to, you got to file your taxes. So for over 50 years, we file folks' taxes down here. We also have a legal clinic for over 50 years. We have been walking along, alongside folks if they are at threats of being evicted. We help them navigate the systems. Now what we also do is because we've been in communities so long and see the impacts of homelessness, we get into what we're calling systems change work. So what we see in the downtown east side is the culmination of decades of failed social policy in addition to the complexities of issues that aren't only just in our community, like personal historical trauma, the homelessness, poverty, criminalization of poverty, racialization of poverty, mental health and addictions. And so we want to get to the root causes of those problems to understand how we can form solutions that usually come in the forms of advocacy, policy reforms and law reform. Oh, oh, and I should mention we're building housing. So to also respond to this crisis, we're building social housing on one of our properties, over 100 units of below market safe, secure, permanent housing for the folks of the downtown east side, which are aimed at not displacing, but rejuvenating the neighborhood for the community members that live there. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I wanted to uh, get your take on this kind of first, because it seems here there's been a perceived influx of the amount of people experiencing homelessness in Fort St. John. Certainly, it's been a hot topic on social media with people um, talking about it, sharing pictures of, of tents going up around town. And I just wonder if, if this is something that's not just happening to Fort St. John, if you're seeing this as well more people experiencing homelessness in Vancouver and the downtown east side? Or is there more community members, more clients that you're helping than ever before? Yeah, so there's always been a relationship between weather and homelessness. And sometimes it's not always that homelessness is increasing, it's visible homelessness is. And so in the summer months, often people come outdoors. Uh, that said, mass homelessness is increasing and just just to know it's not only a vancouver or your community issue it's regional provincial and national and so these and and what we see in vancouver that always increases in the summer is some of your listeners might be aware of what's called a single room occupancy and sro they're not ideal living conditions they're sweltering hot and unclean in the summer and so often people do choose to be outside as a better option than those current options and so we're seeing this everywhere encampments or 10 cities are growing across Canada and we see them more and more in the summer. So you're not alone in this. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I want to talk then about kind of what um, the city's response has been so far. A mem I should say an elected member of city council's response so far. Um, <clears throat> uh, Councillor Trevor Boland's very active on social media. He clearly has seen uh, people talking about it and, 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 you know, whether it's, true or perceived whatever the situation is people saying they're feeling unsafe whatever the situation is he has said he wants to propose a bylaw that makes tent uh, erecting tents and homeless encampments illegal on public property he also mused but sort of hasn't really backed up the idea of maybe setting up a place for uh, some of the people experiencing homelessness to go in fort st john instead of i suppose somewhere visible like in these public and private places downtown and whatnot is this something do you see this as the city being as proactive as they can be in this situation or is there something they should be doing that they could be doing that's better and 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 would be more helpful to these people going through this and I hear two two pieces in this, so I'm going to respond to in, in two parts. The first being that is it there are common reasons to justify these forced evictions, uh, requiring tents not to to appear. And I call this a forced eviction because um, actually in international human rights law, uh, we have a right to housing, and in the lack of adequate housing, we're allowed to put up tents to shelter. Uh, so that's one piece. Uh, but it is a so it is a common response to to use bylaws such as this um, to be able to respond to things like beautification, uh, perceived notions of public safety, fire safety, even redevelopment opportunities. So we try and have these bylaws, which often we call the criminalization of poverty. And, and I know that's like a, that's a huge meaty um, statement, but what that means is we create laws that disproportionately affect the poor, such as saying you can't put up shelter somewhere, you can't handhandle loitering, graffiti, uh, public drug use uh, in, pub in public spaces. Um, and that has punitive 
punitive measures that come back to the folks that are poor and actually perpetuates harm and keeps people in cycles of poverty. So this is one tool sometimes municipalities use, but the bylaw to try and make a recommendation to make something like this illegal, um, actually I'm sure your councillors are probably aware of some of the precedent in BC and across Canada where the courts do strike these down as unconstitutional because it infringes upon our rights to life, liberty, and security. So even if they try to go forward with this, it is more of an uphill um, slog to get there uh, to be able to do that. But there's other things that we can do at the local government level. I want to get into your second part of that question. What can you do instead? Right? Um, there are there are tools in local government's toolbox that don't have to come with these punitive me measures and create, like I said, criminalization of poverty. Uh, municipalities have the ability to, to be able to rezone and use their bylaws for good, to create more housing stock for social housing. Um, you can do inclusive zoning where you're requiring developers to create a certain amount of social housing stock. You can do waivers, there's property taxes, there's land transfers. There's other tools in the toolkit of local governments, including advocacy, um, partnering with the provincial and federal governments to create long-term solutions to speak into the housing crisis that is happening in your community. Um, because frankly, the what, what should be happening is since people have the right to shelter, those tents should actually be, from a human rights perspective, allowed to stay there. Well, the interesting thing to me that uh, kind of also came with with Councillor Boland's sort of statements on the matter is he, he kind of repeated a stigma that you hear about this. Now, you mentioned that some people in the summer uh, may be choosing to be outside because, you know, the short term housing, um, you know, in some situations, it sounds like it could be unlivable. It's too hot, as you say, for example. Um, but he mentioned that the, many of these people could be choosing to, you know, live outside by choice in order to freely use, you know, use drugs and whatnot, as they aren't permitted to in local shelters and kind of other institutions. I just wonder if we can talk about that stigma that this is this is what is happening with people who are experiencing homelessness and that there's some sort of a moral failing that leads them to there. And as such, we're just going to move them around and not actually be helpful in any way. Uh, this stigma seems to be everywhere. Is it something that I mean, we should be doing better to combat it, correct? Yeah, oh, thank you. I mean, this type of conversation is happening in, in every community um, that I've witnessing so far. And, and what you're stating is actually, again, I'm going to tackle the first piece of this question um, around choice. Uh, and you mentioned shelters. And so, yes, um, there are a variety of pieces that may be why people are choosing to live outside than shelters. First, we need to enter in dialogue with residents. We need to enter into dialogue with homeless folks, especially, you know, people that are living in tent cities as to why, if they're choosing to be there and if they're choosing to be there over a shelter the follow-up question is then uh, why uh, you know every community is different and there's nuance but there are common threads about why sometimes folks make these choices some are around safety um, people may have had an instance in a shelter that traumatized them they don't trust the institution anymore mm -hmm. uh, there is comments around environment um, maybe they're not clean or or overcrowded or understaffed or there's bed bugs you can't choose who's next to you you hit on autonomy and when we have intense rules and regulations as rigorous and shelters sometimes people you know want the autonomy like you or i would want to be able to live freely that they can't experience there and i just i need to underscore that 
this is an option between uh, a shelter living outside um, and people are often choosing what's a better option for them. If the majority of people were to be asked if you could have safe, secure, permanent, affordable housing with access to your own bathroom and washroom, what would you choose? And the majority of them would choose that home with dignity. Mm-hmm. And so getting back to then the stigma, um, to be frank, what we see um, with individuals and stigma is this is this is a legacy of stigma. This is this is decades of uh, failed social policy or policy that is not prioritized and taken action into what has now been the outcome, which is a homeless crisis. Um, we haven't put priority into mental health and addiction over the decades. And concurrent to this is where the stigma comes, where we sort of indoctrinated ourselves to think it's the individual's fault and not a massive systems failure. And so here we are creating um, people that are actually victims of the system as people who it's their fault they're the way they are. They should pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but they don't even have any boots. And so that sort of mentality is what we're trying to untangle right now. And, it, and it's hard and it's everywhere, but to underscore, it's not the individual's fault. It's a systems failure. And I truly believe we can do something about it. All right. Well, we've got just about a minute left, uh, Amanda. So I want to make sure I ask this. Um, you know, as you say, if it's a systems issue, which can seem daunting to sort of deal with, right? That can take a long time to sort of untangle. You need elected officials, governments, these sort of institutions to get behind. Let's make it better. But in the meantime, this situation's happening now in Fort St. John. Somebody listening, me, whoever it happens to be, says, I want to make this better for my community and for the community members who are experiencing homelessness. What can I do now to to make this better, to, to maybe see a better outcome even from uh, you know what the city is, is perhaps going to do and what Councillor Bolin is proposing? Well, thank you for asking that question. That's the first thing that people can do to help is get curious, to understand that everybody has value. That is what we as individuals have the tools to do. We need to develop an understanding and empathy about why people are homeless and then from there take action, which can be in the form of compassion. As individuals, we can respond to these residents that are homeless in your community by ensuring that they have the basic needs to food, shelter, sanitation, that is something we can do as individuals and we can also advocate to our elected officials that it is not okay to use punitive measures to force people to move because we're just moving them somewhere else where it's not visible and pushing them into unsafe situations we are all i just want to underscore in a housing crisis across canada your community is not alone in this you can mobilize with other communities and advocate to your other levels of government to do something about this never underestimate the power you have as a voter consumer and a voice and you can mobilize together to make change we are in this together we are experiencing similar items even though i know context can be different Um, but the sheer nature of you having me here to talk about this to expand the conversation and dialogue to ask the questions how we can help Ask those people who are homeless how we can help start that dialogue, build the relationships and build the trust. And we will see amazing things if we leave with compassion and not punishment. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. But Amanda, I really appreciate you taking some time out to uh, chat with us about this today. Thank you so very much. Great weekend. All right. That was Amanda Burroughs. Again, she is an advocate for people experiencing homelessness uh, in the downtown east side of Vancouver. We'll be right back to talk all about the North Peace Fall Fair right after this on Moose Talks.
Welcome back to the show. I'm Dub Craig. Now, if you heard the news, the North Peace Fall Fair Society recently found out that there are several repairs needed on the uh, buildings and grounds of the North Peace Fall Fair grounds i suppose i think the bill was up to three hundred twenty thousand dollars when we first heard about the assessment so to talk about the situation and sort of where we're at now and what impact if any it's going to have on the 76th annual north peace fall fair coming up in august we're joined now by north peace fall fair society board members uh randa braun and bruce christensen uh randa welcome to moose talks i believe this is your first time it is, yes. Thanks for having us. <laughs> and Bruce, uh, welcome back. We had you on last year. Thank you. Right. <laughs> we appreciate this. All right. Uh, well, let's start with the status, because I know you guys had a work beer, uh, pardon me, work bee uh, the other day and a bit of a meeting. What's kind of, what's the latest on what's happening with these critical repairs that are kind of needed? Well, right now we are, we did have a work bee, so we just basically mowed some grass and painted a little bit outside, Um, but we can't do a whole lot. We're waiting on the regional district to give us some direction. They have some contractors in place, so we're just kind of waiting to hear from them on how we can move forward. I see. So they're still sort of working on how they're going to get this fixed, And, and it has to be in time for the kind of, for the fall fair to go forward. Is that sort of how it's going to work or... We, well, we don't know. Well, we we hope so. They, um, as you know, contractors are busy. Yeah, and they have a they have a process to go through to to uh, verify the the quality of the work that these people are going to do, and uh, and and we're not the only thing they're dealing with. So mm-hmm. they they have uh, yeah they they're in conversation, and uh, there are some things that we know that we will not be able to use for the fair. There's other things that we know that we have to have to use for the fair, and we're confident that we're going to be able to use those things, such mm-hmm. as bleachers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, it's a work in progress. Yeah. Was it a surprise to you when they said that these kind of repairs need to be done? I, I only ask because I know some of the buildings are older because they're sort of like heritage buildings in some ways. So did that come as a big surprise, and was just the timing sort of unfortunate? <laughs> Given that it's again like two months till the the next edition of the fall fair. If I if I could answer that, Randa, I go ahead. Uh, and please add in. Um, were we surprised because of the age of the building? Yes, we were. Did we know that there were some things that we had to work on? And yes, we had plans to do that. Yeah. Um, we still feel, I think, the majority of us that have been out there for over twenty years that. Those are old buildings, and yes, they are going to require maintenance, but to the point where we can't use them um, in such short notice makes it very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, the short notice part of it, I mean, you must have known that McElhaney was conducting, you know, that uh, I'm blanking on the word for it, but, the, you know, essentially checking out the buildings for these structural deficiencies, if that's the best way I can put it at the moment. Was there some delay in them delivering the report on it that made it that it kind of, again, the timing being so unfortunate? You know, I'm just like, to me, when I hear this story, why didn't we hear about this in February or March or well, or even late last year? Because, yes, it would have been nice had they done the assessment yeah. after the fair last year before snowfall. Mm-hmm. This year they were delayed because of the snowfall or the snowfall, the little bit of snow we had. Yeah. So 
then once they do their assessment and they compile all their work and or their information and put it together, we just received information in the end of June. Yeah. So that was, if we would even have known, I would suggest, Randa, and say in February that there were certain things, say with the kitchen or, you know, pick a building, we could have identified that as that's our project this year and mm-hmm. had that all planned so that when the snow went in the spring, we could have been there with a crew and had it done. Having said that, uh, everything we do out there now has to have a permit on it. Yeah. And sometimes the permit is not that easy to get. So it's, it's kind of, we knew we had issues, but not serious enough to shut us down. Mm-hmm. And we're not shut down. Don't get that. We're going to yeah. have a fair. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I figured that. We'll, we'll talk, of course, okay. about the fun side of the fair and yeah. what's going to happen uh, in terms of going to it and whatnot a, later, later, a little later on. Um, I suppose my next question is, again, dealing with the PRRD, which I know already was there were some issues last year with the, the Adeline Kelly building and that sort of situation unfolding. Again, this happens where the PRD gets its information, I suppose, at around the same time as you at the end of June. And they say, we don't have time to actually get any funding together to help you. Also, we don't think the the whole district should be helping you because you're in one part of it. And as such, that one part of the district should be responsible for paying for it. So again, you hear that, and was it surprising to you that a local government couldn't put the funds together to help you quickly, other than when um, the representative Jordan Keeley said, I think I've got 200 grand to put towards this right away? Yeah, it was actually, we were really disappointed with the regional district's decision, just because the fairgrounds is a regional park, which means it is funded by the entire PRRD. And so we were really surprised when they didn't want to put any money towards that at all. So we are very thankful that Jordan Keeley did call an emergency meeting and get some funding so we can go ahead with some of the critical repairs. Mm -hmm. If if I may, uh, yeah. A former mayor of Taylor, Fred Jarvis, when I was on the regional district board, when, one of the meetings he stood up because we were having issues like this, who votes for who and for where. And he said, you know, guys, when you get elected to the be members of the P- Peace River Regional District, you leave your hat, in my case from Fort St. John, his from Taylor at home, and you put on the Peace River Regional District hat. And you look at things at a regional perspective. This last vote was not looked at from a regional perspective. It was perspective. It was very much, this is mine, and I'm not going to share it with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was frustrating when I was on the board, and I, I know Jordan was extremely frustrated. And it's really frustrating when people from north of the river do not see the value, I feel, my own, that's my own words, of the North Peace Fall Fair. This is one of the largest most successful functions, 75 years and going. Um, to to not want to support us, that's frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I suppose, I, I don't know if you could say for sure, like with, with numbers, but <coughs> I suppose that, I mean, this fair is attended by people from all over the peace region, not just in electoral area uh, B, if I remember right, right? Like, so... Everyone from everywhere goes to this fair, Absolutely. correct? Absolutely. Yeah. The majority of them are from Fort St. John. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, and we have people, too. They come from Dawson Creek, from Hudson's Hope, um, even beyond those regions. We have people that do travel quite a ways to come and attend this fair. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's uh, make sure we focus on the positive now. Of course, you said the fair is going to happen. It's going to be awesome. Good time. I just, uh, you know, I'm curious what both of you are most excited about for this year. Is there something you're most looking forward to? Because, I mean, it's, it's fall fair. There's so many different things happening. It's, it's quite the weekend. I am a diehard fair fan, so I love it all. But my personal favorites are probably the exhibits. So especially the kids exhibits, it's something I grew up doing. It's something my kids do now. So it really holds a special spot in my heart. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm like Randa. I I love the fair, everything about the fair. Um, I love the tractor pull. I'm a a farm kid from Saskatchewan, so that's that's my first. Um, The late horse from last year bloomed like i mean it was huge there was uh i forget how many entries we had in the light horse heavy horse a little light uh mm-hmm. we're finding out that people aren't training their heavy horses anymore there's the sheep dogs um and of course there's the food mm-hmm. and there's music music yeah. and you can dance pretty much all day long for two and a half days yeah so Get your dancing slippers on. <laughs> you can have a celebrity. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the thing I took part in. You enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I was bad at it, but, you know, it was fun. <laughs> right now, I have not said yes, I would, because I am waiting on some medical issues. Yeah. But uh, we're still hoping. All right. We're still hoping. <laughs> awesome. Full fair. Tell us when it's happening and, and all that good stuff quick before we go. It is happening August 18th through 20th and all day fun. Yeah, and there's also going to be shuttles available, all that good stuff. Uh, you can follow the North Peace Fall Fair on Facebook uh, for more information. I think there's an event as well. Well, I appreciate both of you coming by uh, to chat about this, and uh, I look forward to the fair. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Thank and you there's so room much. for camping. Bring your campers out. There Make you sure go. bring your campers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, Bruce Christensen and Randa Braun from the North Peace Fall Fair Society. I want to say thanks to all our guests today, Amanda Burroughs, Rhonda Braun, uh, Randa Braun, pardon me, and Bruce Christensen for stopping by. If you'd like to hear this episode again, or if you'd like to hear an old episode of Moose Talks, you can uh, check out the energeticcity.ca podcast page. You'll find episodes of this show there, along with uh, episodes of Secrets of the North, Before the Peace, and Voices of the Peace, all archived for your listening pleasure. You can take some time today to listen to some excellently locally, uh, excellent locally produced podcasts at energeticcity.ca slash podcast. You can also check them out anytime uh, right from uh, the 100.1 Moose FM app, which you can download now in the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. That's our show. Jordan Prentice and uh, uh, Trey Lopashinsky are the producers of Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. Be well. Thanks for listening to this EnergeticCity.ca podcast. EnergeticCity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join.